The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yeah! Hello and welcome back to Hoop Ball Hawks, the show that is taking flight here on the Hoop Ball Network. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, reporting here from sunny Atlanta, Georgia. The sun came out, hey, and we are recording today here on Sunday, November 1st, as we are approaching the holiday season. But please, Hold off on the Christmas music till after Thanksgiving, specifically after Black Friday, after the celebration slash disappointment or not getting the items desired to you in that sale that you were trying to score online. But as we are getting closer to the NBA draft on November 18th and the Hawks are looking to score through the draft free agency, potentially through trades. After some reports this week and speculation, it is seemingly becoming more possible that the Hawks may be shopping the sixth pick out to try to get a proven contributor here in Atlanta to help the Hawks get into playoff position next year with the talent that they are loaded with, uh, especially with Ice Trey and JC. Now, I'm not going to say that I was right because of my speculation of thinking that the Hawks are going to be trading out the six pick and making a running joke or segment of the Hawks shopping that pick. But we don't know if this will happen until it does. But I think this is the right direction for the franchise. So with that intro, We're going to talk about the landscape of the NBA with the salary cap uncertainty, impending trades across the league. When will the season start? And then we'll talk about how the Hawks kind of fit into this picture for the NBA trade season episode with one of our repeating guests, Mr. Atlanta Player Development, hashtag Atlanta basketball trainer, also known as Swish for Athletics, Mr. Jordan Boatwright. Jordan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How's everybody doing? I know I'm swell on my end, and I know the two other guests we talked offline before we started this show are doing well, and they're new guests to the show, but these people are not new to me. Uh, these are my boys, uh, two of the best that Hoopball has to offer among many esteemed colleagues that we have here at the Hoopball Network. But first is the host of the Box Score Breakdown, my homie, Mr. David Bracey. David, introduce yourself to the Hawks fans and Hawks listeners. Oh, back in the building, and it feels so nice, Brad. I appreciate you having me coming on today. First-time guest, long-time fan of your Atlanta Hawks basketball podcast. I'm really excited to join this group of guys you have today and talk some hoops. Let's get it. Man, let's get it indeed. Uh, Jeezy would love love that phrase right there. And then we have a new homie that it's feel like, you know, like we've known each other our whole lives, and we've only known each other for probably about a month and a half. But another hoop ball contributor – Uber talented, hailing from the great state of Michigan, Mr. Marcus Braden. Marcus, welcome to Hoop Ball Hawks today. Thank you, thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here, uh, more specifically in great company with you, fine gentlemen. So, looking forward to talking all things basketball, but specifically Atlanta hoops. So, you know, once again, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Man, we're going to have a really, really fun show today. Uh, like I said, we have three very talented guest stars here today to talk shop. And we're going to plug each and every single one of them after the show. So hoop ball fans, Hawks fans, check them all out. Check them all out on social. We'll plug them at the end of the show. But we're going to start 
with the NBA season starting so soon, it seems like uh, there will be a lot today about the current climate of the NBA, which is in flux, including when the season will start, as I alluded to, regardless if the season starts three days before Christmas, like the owners seemingly want, or MLK Day, like the players want. All I know is that NBA basketball is approaching, and I could not be any more excited. I know these guests are extremely excited to have ball back for everybody here in the league. Uh, But first, I want to get everyone's take on the recent news. I know there has been a lot of lost revenue from the past season due to the pandemic and the revenue stream from the TV deals are looking even more alluring for the league to owners for the league to start sooner and hitting that Christmas day market. And as well as the MLK day TV slots, but Adam Silver had talked about in the past before these recent scenarios have been brought out that he would like to have fans there, but starting early in the midst of, you know, case numbers and arising here nationwide, that would probably kill that idea if we were to start earlier rather than later. I know David has talked about on the box score breakdown, the uncertainty of the Toronto Raptors and potentially having to find a place here in the States to play with Canada requiring a quarantine of 14 days for everybody coming into the country, which could severely affect things as far as play and scheduling goes. Also, you know, the teams who play late into the bubble, would have a quick turnaround. But on the other side of that coin, there's teams who have not played since March 16th, like our Atlanta Hawks here on this program, who are itching to get back to the floor and work towards here, speaking to Atlanta, the franchise's goal of making the playoffs this year. So, like I said, there's a two-sided coin as far as the MLK Day start or late January start and the Christmas Day start. But if we were to start later, even though you miss those Christmas Day games, which I know besides getting presents and spending time with family and good food, the NBA Christmas Day slate is one of the things I look forward to every single year. But even though you miss that, if you start later in January or MLK Day, you have less chances of having star players like LeBron James and others sitting out games. I know load management will be a big thing this year with the shorter offseason and a quicker turnaround, even if we do start either day. But I think starting later would cut the number of players who do sit out because they did have a little bit more breathing time, especially those playing late into the bubble. You'd have more time for planning and discussion. You wouldn't coincide with the NFL as many weeks as normally if you start later in January. You have a few playoff games on Sunday, Saturday. Then you have the Super Bowl early in February. So then you coincide with the NFL less than you did this year with the bubble which severely affected ratings and i think that if you start later in january you have a greater chance at some point in the season to have fans present so there's even more revenue stream and however recent news as i stated on friday states that players would like to start mid to late january and to avoid conflicts with the 2021 olympics that's upcoming this summer a 50 game season has been on the table as a potential resolution but this would involve a reduction in player salary significantly across the league for the 2020 2021 season according to multiple sources the 72 game model would call for teams to play potentially 14 games a month through may followed by the playoffs through mid-July before the Olympics begin. And if the NBA Players Union insists on 50 games, there will still be some conflict because, according to Mark Stein, FIBA moved the Olympic qualifying tournament for 16 countries that will be playing for the final four spots in Tokyo to June 29th through July 4th. And then that week would 
severely affect several NBA players. For an example, as Mark Stein uh, pointed to, if the Milwaukee Bucks and the Toronto Raptors were still playing late into June, Greece would be missing Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is their undisputed best player on that team. And Canada would miss their head coach, Nick Nurse, who was coach of the year last year, or at least co-coach of the year last year. And as reported by Shams in anticipation of the start of the NBA season, they have informed all 30 teams here in the NBA that they are allowed to open practice facilities for group practices, workouts, and scrimmage with up to 10 players. Shams also reported that the NBA and the Players Association are extending the deadline on the upcoming collective bargaining agreement to November 6th. As I said, there's a lot to unpack here, but I want to get everyone's takes even though we're all excited to cover basketball, even me specifically, to actually cover Hawks basketball games. But what is everyone's thoughts and concerns with the current discussions over the start of the season? And I'm going to start it off with you, Jordan. So the question is, what is our thoughts about the season starting early? Yes. Or what do you think is the best case scenario for, for all parties? Yeah, I, I don't think the season is starting in December at all. Like, um, I can't imagine looking at LeBron and telling him, you know, congrats, you just won the championship 50 days ago, and now you're starting a new season. I don't see that happening. I think, like, Martin Luther King Day, somewhere between Martin Luther King Day and Valentine's Day, would I feel like would be better. Just give give the players time to rest and recover. And then, yeah, I guess if they want to start it, like, around Christmas, they could do, like, a summer league or some type of preseason with – the teams that weren't in the bubble to get them going or whatever. But I don't I don't see that turnaround time happening just for recovery time, evaluation time, draft time, getting everybody acclimated is you're setting it up for failure just to try to gain financially from it. So I think they do January, February start and just do like a 45, 50 game season and really have it end around the regular time. Because with Olympics and everything, like you said, it's going to be too many conflicts. So that's what I feel like they should do. And then with the Raptors being in Canada, there's a lot of arenas and cities that have arenas like Seattle. Um, they can go to Seattle or, you know, the old Vancouver Grizzlies uh, facility or whatever is in that Seattle area, Vancouver area. Um, I know the G League has a lot of arenas like in Erie, Pennsylvania. That's not too far from Mississauga where their G League team practices. Um, it's still in state side. It'll be in Pennsylvania. They can use like that facility. So I think there's a few options that the Raptors can, can use. And even Pat Mahomes has even offered them coming to Kansas City to come use their facilities there as well, too. But, yes, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I stand. I don't think the season's going to start around Christmas at all. I think it'll be closer to uh, Martin Luther King Day. And very, very great points you've made there, Jordan. I'm going to kick it to David now, who has talked about this extensively on the box score breakdown. And if Hawks fans, if you have not checked out that show, check it out. It's a great show. It's in my constant rotation, like a future likes rotations, but it's a different rotation that we can't speak on on this program. But David, I want to get your thoughts on options as far as the starting of the season. What do you think is the best case scenario or is there a best case scenario in this whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, looking at the landscape of the league and, you know, all the news that's kind of been just flying out left and right, it looks like this is definitely going to be a photo finish as far as what ultimately is going to be the decision by the league. You know, players are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place for the teams that did, you know, make a real good playoff push, make it deep into the bubble and find themselves playing into, you know, August, September, what have you. This is a pretty quick turnaround for them, especially the veteran guys, you know, guys like LeBron. You know, I can definitely see him wanting to ease his way back into it. But at the same time, I mean, 
LeBron James is notorious for immediately getting back into the weight room following losses or victories. And that's exactly what he did after his NBA championship, his fourth one this season. So as far as the acceleration of that timeline for the players to return, I think you can expect a lot of the superstars to kind of throw around their their gravitas, if you will, to try to influence uh, Michelle Roberts and the NBA PA to kind of come to their come to their come to bat for them, I should say, and try to extend this return into January. But again, like I said, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you want to come back. You want to bring in that revenue, not only for your individual pockets, but for the cumulative pockets of the league. But at the same time, you know, with this accelerated return out the window goes player safety from the regards of rest. Uh, You know, typically teams are used to getting two, three months, four, four months, depending on where you were at in the playoffs uh, between former season and current season. Now you're going to get two maybe you know it kind of depends and again it's an issue for not only the players individually but for also a lot of these front offices you think about the fact that the nba draft is supposed to be midway through this month shortly followed by free agency and then the opening of training camps in december and then the regular seasons quote-unquote regular season starting sometime around christmas i mean player safety is going to be a real concern, not only for the guys that you already have on your rosters, but for the guys that you may be adding, you know, as you're bringing in players from other markets, are you going to have them quarantine as you're working out these draft prospects, as you're bringing in potential G leaguers, signing guys who were not in the NBA a year before, um, what is the protocol for making sure that you can ensure them safely attending uh, training camp? You know, again, we saw all the all the protocols that went into effect in the NBA bubble. I wonder, again, with the acceleration of this timeline for a return, how a lot of that will be able to be implemented successfully. And in regards to the hopefulness of the NBA for fans to be in attendance for these games, I mean, if you're starting in December, I think we can all agree on the podcast and otherwise that 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 just ain't going to happen. You know, I, I don't see the feasibility of that financially for the NBA, because at the end of the day, this is a money-making industry, um, and they definitely want to prioritize safe testing and social distancing protocols across the board, not only for their athletes, but for those fans in attendance, but they want to do it in a cost-effective way. And until those measures really start to present themselves and solidify themselves as options for the NBA, um, there's going to be a lot of conversation. There's going to be a lot of side speak because nobody really knows what is going to happen. And as we've clearly seen, the union and the rest of the league are, are not aligned as far as the players when they want to come back and what the NBA wants financially. So the teams who weren't in the bubble, I'm sure they're they're really ready to go. They're fired up, especially Atlanta, as you know, we're going to talk about later in the pod. Definitely really, really ready to go and get back on the court, show everybody what they've been doing and how they're going to continue to improve. And for the teams that made that push, you know, I think that a little bit of rest is exactly what they were looking for and hoping for. And with that announcement, that definitely doesn't look like it's going to be the case. So lots of stuff to watch, uh, a lot of wheels turning here. And I'm very, very excited to see uh, what's going to be a very, very busy November unexpectedly, uh, because usually November is kind of the month for football, as we're all used to. But it's going to be an NBA November Turkey Day, Turkey Day hoops. I'm I'm very, very excited. So everything you could ask for. Yeah, and definitely great insight there, David. Just a lot to unpack and all the things to account for. I'm going to kick it to you, Marcus. Your take on uh, when to start the season and to go back and mention, you know, the Toronto Raptors. uh, What do you think the best fit is for the Toronto Raptors here in the States? I know that on box score breakdown, David had a guest that mentioned Louisville, Kentucky, as well as Kansas City. And, you know, you know, the history of the league in Seattle. So twofold, your thoughts on when the season should take place and what should be accounted for. And where do you think realistically the Toronto Raptors should be playing out their NBA season this year? 
Hey, thanks, Brett. Well, allow me to insert my immediate bias here. You know, I'm from Michigan, big Pistons fan, Lions fan, unfortunately. Basically, you know, all things professional. And, you know, being a resident of uh, Wichita, Kansas, if you're telling me I can drive three hours and see Kyle Lowry and company ball out in Kansas City, I'm all for it. And being a diehard Oklahoma City Thunder fan, if I can go three hours the other way south and see my Thunder, man, I'm getting the best of both worlds. But I mean, really, bias aside, just really allowing former championship team like the Raptors to just have a place where they can have a good following and good fandom and just play. You know, that's really all they can ask for. But I think whether it be in Seattle, you know, playing with the former Supersonics were, there's a lot of great history there. I know the great people of Seattle, they would love to have any form of a professional team in the area. So I think they could get good support. I think people would come out just to watch a great professional game. But I even think, you know, if you look at the buzz of what's going on in Kansas City, the Chiefs coming off a Super Bowl championship and doing very well this year, poised to make another run at another championship, that could add, you know, to the allure being in Kansas City, having the Raptors there and you know, it kind of just brings back the vibes of when um, the uh, Hornets had relocation and went to OKC. They kind of just played at a new place. And before the Thunder actually came to OKC, it was just so fun to think there's a professional team here we can come and watch. So, you know, that just makes matters fun. I think both Seattle and Kansas City would be two prime locations just for the fans that would come out to watch, but also having great facilities and arenas that the players could play in. But for the sake of just being an NBA basketball fan, really anywhere that Toronto is just able to go and play, given the restrictions in Canada and stuff, will be great. Obviously, that's what we need. So um, it's going to be crazy. It, it, it's really going to be interesting to see. But I know Adam Silver and company, you know, everyone, you know, they're working out. My hope is kind of like as everyone concluded is being an NBA fanatic. I'm sure we all could agree to December start would be incredible, you know, but we have to be realistic here. And I hope that the players, you know, Adam Silver, just all of the uh, association can find a common ground and just find what's best for the fans, the players and starting at a good time and reducing the least amount of revenue lost as you can. And, you know, hopefully we can just get things rolling because I'm so excited for, you know, the next NBA season. It's going to be a crazy off season, which we'll get to. But yeah, that's my take on it. I appreciate the take, Marcus, and uh, I want to give a little food for thought before we get into the promo and in the second half of our program. With the places that we mentioned, Seattle and Kansas City, those are more Western Conference locations, and with Toronto being in the Eastern Conference, I know I mentioned Louisville, and I know David has alluded to on his podcast, the social climate and political climate, and Louisville was very uncertain and with the civil unrest there, and rightfully so, with the actions that have gone on in Louisville as of recent, if you do not know, you have been under a rock and you need to look into that. But I digress in that aspect that they do have an NBA ready arena at, in the Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. It would be in the Eastern Conference. It would play into travel, especially with the teams that they're playing with. And another location that I would mention is the great state of Ohio with NBA ready arena in Cincinnati with a big market there where you have Kentucky and Louisville is just an hour away from Cincinnati and Cincinnati and Ohio being a big basketball area and state, it could be successful there as well as Columbus, Ohio, being the largest city in Ohio as well. 
Indeed, you're not too far from the G League team if they move, move way like Jordan alluded to. So uh, I would say any of those areas closer to the East Coast would be better for, you know, the market and travel and everything. But I would love to see, you know, spending a lot of time in Kansas City and spending a lot of time in St. Louis and Missouri, period. So much basketball talent that comes out of the city of St. Louis and sometimes definitely in Kansas City as well. To have an NBA ready arena in the Sprint Center in Kansas City will be a wonderful opportunity for that city to showcase their support for the best case scenario if they were to get an NBA basketball team when the league talks about expansion teams in 2024. And we already know the well-documented history for the NBA in Seattle. So just wanted to start off the podcast talking about the starts of the NBA season. Hawks fans definitely engage me on Twitter. You know my Twitter. Or engage Hoopball Hawks. And give us your take as to when would you like the season to start. I know we have not played games since March. So I know a lot of you guys would like definitely like to start that sooner rather than later. And I do not blame you at all. But player safety is a huge concern. The turnaround from other players in the league. You don't want to have a product where a lot of players are sitting out. That's not good for business at all. Load management already is clowned by some NBA fans and I think we'll see a a larger uptake in that if that were to happen. We'll move on from that subject. uh, But first, before we get into trade season, it's another plug for ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? I mean, I dabbled in it a little bit before, but after learning about ExpressVPN, I had to see what's up. And it's taking my TV watching game to the next level. You can use a VPN to unlock movies, shows that are available in other countries. This past weekend, I know it's been a slow grind, but a wonderful grind for me. I'm rewatching the greatest show ever made, in my opinion. We can debate it later. Prison Break, which is only available on Netflix UK. And it was so simple. I watched it on ExpressVPN. I fired up the app, changed my location to the UK, refreshed Netflix, and bam! My boy Schofield was breaking out another prison. There's no prison that can hold this man. This man is the go. See, ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located at. You could choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all the Netflix libraries that you can go through. You love anime? Well, use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and Kamehameha away. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is because it's ridiculously fast. It never buffers or lags, and you can stream in HD with no problems. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, so you can watch what you want either on the go or on the big screen, wherever. It doesn't matter. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash hoopball, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN. Three for free. Good Lord. So support the show. Watch what you want to watch and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Now back to the regular scheduled program. We're going to talk about trade season. As I predicted in a previous show, I think that there will be a lot of movement this offseason trade-wise with the uncertainty, especially with the uncertainty of the salary cap, certainly being less than last year with the loss of revenue. 
which will cause some teams to reconsider some of the contracts that are currently on their roster, especially people who are expecting paydays like Victor Oladipo, Aaron Gordon, Gordon Hayward, Andre Drummond, DeMar DeRozan, CP3, and the potential fire sale in Philadelphia with the new regime up there. And the list goes on. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast, according to the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor, the Atlanta Hawks are actively shopping the number six pick in the 2020 NBA draft with the intention of trying to add a talent to make a push for the playoffs this upcoming season. They are expected to be very aggressive in free agency as the Hawks want to capitalize on the emergence of Trey Young. And it comes as no surprise to me, especially with this being the last guaranteed season for Lloyd Pierce here in Atlanta and a projected $43 million in cap space available this offseason. And I have mentioned on this show and Kevin O'Connor mentioned of a potential where the sixth pick is swapped with the 11th pick where the Hawks were projected to take potentially Patrick Williams, the 6'8 forward from Florida State, which we'll cover in a later podcast as he's emerging up draft boards. And as well as the former all-star DeMar DeRozan, although it may not be a perfect fit here. And I know Jordan has talked about that on a previous podcast here for the Hoop Ball Hawks, but improve some aspects of the team. I've mentioned Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green for Golden State, trying to alleviate some cap rooms and then making moves potentially. I think Andrew Wiggins more so than Draymond Green. And also Victor Oladipo with recent reports as to how does he feel in Indiana. I know recently he said that he would love to get extended by Indiana. And if he's not extended by Indiana, Miami could be a potential destination for him. And I know some other sources have mentioned Brad Beal, Joel Embiid, in an article written by Sam Quinn for CBS Sports. He mentioned some other sensible options. And I'm not comparing, you know, these guys to Skechers when I talk about sensible options, but these are solid options that could complement this roster and be financially and fiscally responsible in regards to the Hawks if they were making a move. So I'd like to discuss some of these names that have been mentioned in more and guys you're not held or bound by this list. If there's names that come up, please bring them out. This is what you guys are here for with the great basketball minds that you are. But some names that were mentioned in this article and have been mentioned and linked to the Hawks have been Rocco, Robert Coveting, who is owed $25 million over the next two seasons in total and would help the Rockets have some salary cap relief if he has moved on from the roster. Aaron Gordon, which I know David Marcus and I have had offline conversations about how stagnant the Magic have become, not progressing further up in the Eastern Conference standing, and the potential to blow this team up may happen with the trade of Aaron Gordon and go in another direction. Victor Oladipo, who I just mentioned, Josh Richardson from the 76ers with the new regime there, they could blow it up, and Josh Richardson may be out of Philly. DeMar Rosen, who I mentioned. Joel Embiid, who I mentioned earlier. Lori Marketing, which is an interesting name that has come up. And Bradley Beal, who it makes for fun conversation, fun dialogue. So out of these options, some are more pie-in-the-sky options I've mentioned. Who is more likely to land with the Hawks out of these options? Who would be the best fit? Or is there somebody that the Hawks should consider? And this would strictly be talks of trading the sixth pick for a player, as we will talk about free agency in a later episode we've alluded to. So I'm going to go backwards. I'm going to start with Marcus on this conversation as far as trade season, the overall landscape, but where do you think the Hawks could fall into in this conversation of trades? Hey, Brad, thank you, man. I appreciate it. So, I mean, gosh, there are many different ways to go about this. Um, I've been thinking about it quite a bit. 
The thing that really came to mind was, you know, as I was looking at potential suitors that Atlanta would want to trade for is we got to remember, right? You have a great player in Trey Young, who I think when it's all said and done, I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think he will really be one of the best point guards ever. I mean, he's so far, he's so far ahead, you know, of his expectations and how good people thought he would be. He's killing it. You know, he is, you know, ice Trey, and he is the leader out there in Atlanta. And I mean, having a key piece like that is really a diamond in the rough. The Hawks could not have asked for a better player to draft. You know, I'm not going to go down that. But when you really look at Luca and you look at Trey and you look at how they fit each team to run, I'm not going to call it a wash. But I'm saying you got to be happy as an Atlanta fan having somebody like Trey Young, you know, who was an all star. And, you know, you factor in John Collins in the mix, too. He's gotten so much better year in and year out, and he's really up to street game last year. And I heard offseason reports that he's working on his playmaking, and, you know, that will suit him very well as, like, you know, a number two or three option on that team. I do believe he can play at a high level and be a multi-time all-star. Then you factor in Clint Capella, who I'm sure Houston Rockets are really kicking themselves with because they really doubled down on their small ball lineup. And, you know, they probably could have used the Clint Capella when Anthony Davis was dropping 28 and 12 every game. But that's neither here nor there. But my point being is he had a little injury trouble. And after being dealt to the Hawks, we didn't even get to see how those guys would play together. You know, he has not even played a game in a Hawks uniform yet. So that is something that's very exciting to see. You know how Trey Young likes his rim running bigs and I feel like he can be even better in Atlanta with a point guard like Trey Young versus than how he was used in Houston. So with all of that said, we've heard the murmurs of Victor Oladipo, right? We've heard the murmurs of Buddy Heald and even Aaron Gordon, as you said, Brad, as we kind of talked offline. And my thing is, right, those are solid NBA players. But as I was kind of looking at different players that we could acquire, well, we as in Atlanta, you know, because I'm taking on, you know, my... I'm tapping into my Atlanta Hawks fandom for this segment, if you will. But I don't think that they want to, out of desperation, make a move for any of these guys, especially Victor Oladipo. We've seen how good he was in that one season. But then we've seen that brutal injury he had, and he hasn't quite been himself. You don't want to buy too far in for a guy like that and not have him return value and how you need him to be. Similar with Buddy Hill. I know he's a proven, capable player, but I am particularly high on Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. So you don't want to make a deal, right, where you could potentially have to move one or two of those guys and even a Kevin Herter to where you don't quite get the return in a Buddy Hill that you could and let's say a Brad Beal. Right. And that's who I think, in my opinion, for who the Hawks could potentially get. If you package a deal, I mean, somewhat revolving a Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter. Cam Reddish and a six pick, however you want to look at that. And you got a Bradley Beal. I think he fits so perfectly into that offense. You have Trey Young doing his thing. You have Brad Beal, who is one of the best shot creator shooting guards in the NBA. And you still have that nice, versatile front court with John Collins at the four, Clint Capella at the five. And I think that could be a great team. You know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I can not only see them making the playoffs. I can see them finishing as a fifth or sixth seed and being a competitive team. I mean, this team hasn't made the playoffs since 2017 in which they were, you know, outed in the first round. But I think it's going to take Atlanta to make a big move for a proven, established all-star borderline superstar. And I don't think they should settle for anything less than that. I know it's been a while, like I said, three seasons since they even made the playoffs, let alone made a run. 
right? But I don't think they want to get ahead of themselves and just get a, you know, serviceable, solid NBA player. They really want to tap into that superstardom and that will really put them over the edge because with, you know, like I said, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish and guys like that, who knows what they could really develop into, kind of like we've seen in Boston with Jay Brown and Jay Tatum. So with that, I say Bradley Beal is an ideal candidate. Other than that, from players they could potentially get and actually land. I mean, because I don't see Joel Embiid or anything like that. I just don't see a deal possible where you could get that. I think as far as real potential scenarios that could play out, Bradley Beal is the best. Otherwise, you know, I just don't know how good they can get it. Buddy Hill, Vic Oladipo, they just don't do it for me. So I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, I'm going to kick it to David now. Um, as I know, David, he knows the league through and through. And I, I, I'm very interested to get his takes. I know we've talked Jordan's takes. We're going to get to him in a minute as well. But I want to see what Mr. Bracey has cooking up as far as potential players coming to the 404. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when it comes to cooking it up, you know, the, the Hawks definitely are in a very envious position, in my opinion, as far as NBA front office goes, because, you know, like Marcus kind of touched on, you could weigh the pros and the cons of the Trey Young versus Luka debate as far as how that pick went and how it's played out so far. Both guys, I think, are going to be incredible guards. They're definitely going to be team or players that can lead their teams um, to playoff success and hopefully hopefully to an NBA championship one day. I think both of them is very, very possible. Um, just going to be very dependent around how the team builds the talent around them. And as I said, you know, the Atlanta Hawks are in an envious position because they have a good amount of salary cap to work with, especially considering the financial downturn that the NBA is going to be going through over the next season. Um, and they have a young ascending star. Uh, and what we've seen across the league and for, for years and years and years, the teams that are able to draft these preeminent superstars before their birth into the league, before their ascension, and then build around them through the draft by trading for championship caliber contributors. You know, those are the kind of teams that have really been able to position themselves well to not only retain those stars, but to really make a push um, with those associations, with those teams, while they have those stars kind of at the peak of their powers. So with the Hawks, it makes all the sense in the world that they are kind of in this win now mode, if you will. I mean, the East is wide open. Why not? I mean, you know, you got the Brooklyn Nets, you got the Milwaukee Bucks, you have some other teams, you know, out east, Toronto. It's very top heavy, but four through eight, I mean, you could really make an argument that it's all just kind of minutiae. You know, it's a bunch of teams floating around out there, and really it's going to depend on who is able to finish out their season as strongest, as we've seen time and time again, as a lot of teams really start to taper off as we kind of enter the playoffs there. So, in my opinion, you know, the Hawks they can look across the landscape of the league and have a lot of pipe dreams about a Brad Beal, a Joel Embiid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I do not see them having the requisite, the requisite pieces to bring a player of that caliber into the fold just yet. But with that being said, you know, I think they have Clint Capella, you know, they have John Collins, Trey Young, you have that kind of menagerie of the guards. You know, he mentioned Hunter, Reddish, you have Hoarder. Really, in my opinion, what they need is a solidified NBA contributor, like you mentioned, DeMar DeRozan. I think that would be an, an excellent addition to their team. Um, this is a guy who's a capable scorer. He's a capable distributor. He can kind of help alleviate some of the playmaking burden that Trey Young faces on a night-in and night-out basis. Because as we do kind of look across the Atlanta Hawks roster, granted, they do have some young talent as far as guards and scoring the ball, but playmaking there's really a lot left to be desired and outside of Trey Young 
you do not truly have a primary playmaker and ball handler on that roster. As we've seen, Hunter and Reddish don't have the requisite ball handling skills to be a high level uh, playmaker in the NBA at this time. You know, that can change. Hoarder is going to be more of your coming off of threes, your spot up shooter, uh, Duncan Robinson-esque, if you will. So a lot of potential for those guys to develop. They're big, lanky guards. They're versatile on defense, which you definitely like and you need in this league, as we've clearly seen. But in my mind, you know, DeMar DeRozan is an ideal trade candidate. Maybe, you know, give a knock to the Golden State Warriors and see if they're interested in shuffling some pieces around and try to move move down in the draft and go for an Andrew Wiggins. Again, you know, this is a versatile wing player that can help you alleviate some of the playmaking burden when Trey Young is on the bench. Um, on nights where you are giving him rest and then also still be a competent scorer. Now, obviously, neither one of those guys are incredible three-point shooters, but you don't necessarily need them to be when you're going to surround them on the floor with a John Collins, a Trey Young, a Herder, et cetera, et cetera. So for the Hawks, the future is very, very bright for all my AT aliens out there. You know, you should be really, really proud of what that front office is doing, what Lloyd Pierce is trying to build in, in that stadium and in that city. And I think that, you know, the sky is the limit for the Atlanta Hawks as long as they are able to go about this in a way that is the opposite of the New York Knicks, which is, oh, we didn't get anybody in free agency we wanted. Well, let's just take anybody. Let's spend all our requisite cap. Let's spend all our requisite assets just to bring in a name. I hope Atlanta does not go that direction because they've already got a name down there and it's Trey Young. So hopefully they continue to build the right way. And I'm very excited for what the Atlanta Hawks are going to be doing this season. Yeah, I hope we don't pull a New York Knicks. I, I, don't, I don't want the Hawks and the Knicks to even be mentioned in the same sentence unless they're playing each other. And it was funny, uh, as soon as you said that, to talk about the Joel Embiid's and Brad Bills, that we won't have, you know, the requisite to make that trade. I just kept thinking about that video. You don't have the facilities for that, big man. I just that's what, I, that's what came to me when you said that. And I agree. I really don't know what we would have to do to even land one of those superstars. And I think... With the Spurs and DeMar DeRozan, I've talked about, if you give them the sixth pick and Herder, who I think would fit in that Spurs system pretty well, and maybe Dwayne Dedman, who played for the Spurs, I feel like they would take, they would give away DeMar DeRozan. And the Spurs, they have a lot of questions to answer themselves with what they want to do with Marcus Aldridge as well, getting old in age. Uh, injuries have been kind of piling up as well in production, although it's still good production is it is wavering and teetering down and on the downside of his career but jordan i'm gonna end this conversation with you and then we'll give opportunities for rebuttals if there are rebuttals uh what do you think the hawks need to do for trade season i've been i've been kind of back and forth about it but uh, i definitely think like i said they they need to uh, probably trade that six pick first they got to establish what their intent is with trey young they're going to make him the cornerstone of the franchise or if they're going to put somebody else next to him who else, who's going to be the cornerstone because all these options with like DeMar and Joel, that would push Trey back to like 1A. So I think if you still want him or like 1B, I guess, if you want Trey to still be that 1A. I think everybody, like I, I always say, people look at the wrong players with the, uh, with the right teams. Like, you know, everybody was looking at a Brandon Ingram. I say Drew Holiday, everybody's saying DeMar DeRozan, but I think a Derek White would fit better next to Trey because everything that he provides offensively and defensively would match up well with Trey's deficiencies on his defensive end and his lack of inside scoring or whatever. Derek White can fill all those needs. I'm also like that Josh Richardson idea because I feel like Philly is going to make a lot of moves, but I think Josh Richardson would be a really good pick. So I think he, he would also be a perfect fit next to Trey Young as well. Um, and then like the whole Bradley Beal, you know, him and Joel and all that, like that, that takes away from Trey's production and what the Haw Hawks, I feel like, are trying to do with Trey and, and the team that they have. 
and then that would take away from Kevin Herter, or, or I guess we probably have to trade him too as well. But I don't think any of the big-time superstars would be a smart fit, depending on what the Hawks' intention are with trade. Now, if they want to make trade like their number two, then, you know, Bradley Bill would be great or Joel Embiid or whatever. But I think they're trying to build a team behind Trey and build around him. So I don't think those would be a good fits. But like a Laurie Marketing or Davis Bertans, I think those those would be good fit. I'm with them. I see everybody's been talking about Robert Covington as well. But I just think he's going to end up in Philly with as much as Daryl Morey has, has loved him and talked about him throughout his whole career. I think somehow they're going to get him in Philly. Um, with with Doc Rivers and, and everything that they have going on. But yeah, the, I think this six pick definitely needs to be traded. I think they could possibly trade it down. If you do trade it down to Billy, you could get you get a Josh Richardson and their 21st pick. And I've said, uh, I think a couple episodes ago, I really like the Hawks GM and how he's managed to get really solid picks in the middle and late of the draft with Kevin Herter and John Collins. So I think if the Hawks get that 21st pick, I'm sure if we could get, you know, Josh Richardson and then a, a, another like guard, uh, I think that Tyrell Terry from Stanford, uh, I think the Sixers are looking at. And I think he would also be a great fit if we traded that pick to the Sixers and then got him as well as uh, with Josh Richardson. But, yeah, I think, you know, I don't, I don't think a big name franchise player would be great against Trey. I think he needs to be next to like more of a Drew Holiday, like I said, Derek White, somebody who kind of has their own and establish their own, but it's not that cornerstone and we don't have to invest too much manpower in, into them or, you know, our finances and we could keep our salary cap and then we could still add another player next year's free agency. But that's where I think the Hawks should stand with their six pick. Um, and even if they just traded and they don't really get anything back, I think they're still solid with, with the core that they have. I've, I've said this, you know, on our, in our last episode that I think they're good if they just be patient and give it another year or two, um, I think they're solid exactly right where they're at. And I'm very hopeful for them because the Hawks actually are one of the top teams in the in the league that have the most playoff uh, appearances, I think, amongst all the other franchises. The Hawks are like top five. And somebody said that they were just in the playoffs three years ago. And the year before that, they broke their record for, you know, most wins in the season or whatever. So they're not far removed from being a playoff team and being a staple in the East. It's just figuring out who is going to be their cornerstone and how to build around them so they could go go deeper in the playoffs and have more of a, a certified spot, I guess, in the East uh, in, in the playoffs. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with the franchise having success. Um, and I think I saw a number that in the number of seasons they've been in Atlanta, half of those seasons they've been in the playoffs. So this team is used to being in the playoffs, although the Larry O'Brien has eluded them. And you're absolutely right that the Hawks do need to make a decision as to what do they see Trey Young? Is he 1A? Is he 1B? And make a decision from there because I know from other conversations we've had, it kind of is how it, the team should be constructed around Trey Young is similar to how the team in Philly was constructed around AI. Although AI was known for steals, obviously smaller than a statue, they did have you know, Eric Snow next to him and they have the key in, you know, Dallin Bear, defensive minded players, you know, could, you know, guard multiple positions to cover some of AI as far as stature. But obviously you couldn't, you know, outplay him in his heart and his drive and his hustle. And that's what made AI great. AI was able to take that team to a championship, even though not winning, uh, he was able to take that team to a championship. But I think if they are trying to learn from the AI experience, 
trying to add someone else who can kind of shoulder that load, maybe as a 1A, 1B, depending on who they bring in, would probably be better for success because they can't just key in on Trey Young. They would have to focus on this other score. And then obviously you have the other players who fit into the system, fit into the roles, whether they're shooters, whether grit defenders, and build from there. Is there any rebuttals as far as, you know, amongst the other uh, panel of guests that we have as far as structure, as far as what is the right structure for Trey Young in this team and here in Atlanta? I don't really have a rebuttal per se, but I think everyone kind of touched on it. I think this is kind of a reoccurring theme with a lot of teams in the NBA right now. The Hawks, the Timberwolves, teams that are on the cusp of more and they want to utilize their draft picks in order to get a an established superstar player or all-star player to work with guys like Trey Young and the rest of their pieces. Similarly, you know, in Minnesota, guys like Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. And you want to appease, you know, your all-star players, right? Because obviously Minnesota drafted um, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, the Hawks drafted Trey Young, right? You want to reward these guys from winning seasons and make them competitive so they can compete and make the playoffs, you know, just establish themselves as kind of a force to be reckoned with in either conference, specifically, you know, the Hawks in the East. So my thing with all of that is it's easy to want to just kind of make a move to get someone who on paper, it's like a Buddy Hill to Victor Oladipo, could make your team better. But, you know, to David's point, I could see a DeMar DeRozan coming in, having a great impact. And while it's kind of a pipe dream, you know, obviously Joel Embiid and Brad Bill can do the same. But I think the most important thing here is to, you know, not get too much tunnel vision and feel you have to make a move. Kind of take a step back, see the pieces you have in your young core in that six pick and just kind of work with it. You know, and as you improve and get better, you may even have more assets to kind of trade with when the time is right. 2021 is going to be a big offseason stacked. So maybe not make any two premature moves and just kind of see how it plays out. David, what is your what is your take on this? Yeah, you know, like I said, I think that the, the Hawks are in a really good position right now and they shouldn't be so quick to jump the gun and force the issue of getting what they consider to be a superstar caliber player under the fold right now. Because uh, as I said, you know, I think that Trey Young is a guy who's going to continue to develop and is set up for a lot of longevity as far as an NBA career and for a lot of success because of his skill set, you know, the way that he's already kind of leading the team on the floor. And I definitely like that comp that you had to, you know, that Allen Iverson led Sixers where they kind of loaded it up with a bunch of tough-minded defensive guys to kind of back up AI and let AI just be the one-man offense. Well, I mean, Trey Young is definitely more than capable of doing that, and he's also an incredible facilitator, an excellent distributor. I mean, we see his playmaking and passing. I mean, definitely A1. So you you love to see all the things and the flashes of talent that he has shown. And as I said, you know, I don't think that you need to to rush this process, if you will. You know, when you have a guy like Trey Young, who is so talented, who has so much potential, and who can stretch the floor the way that he can, let the pieces fall where they will. And as players and picks or whatever may have you make themselves available, have the confidence not only in your front office, but in your coaching staff, in your front office to execute those decisions, and then your coaching staff to implement the culture of the Atlanta Hawks and what they're trying to do and successfully bring those guys along for the ride and kind of help them collaborate together on the court because that's really going to be the biggest thing and like all of you have touched on you know what you don't want to do is rush a face in there to then throw off the team dynamic and chemistry that the Hawks currently have Trey Young is definitely the unquestioned star on that team 
and to bring in, you know, a Brad Beal or an Embiid uh, player of that caliber that will completely disrupt that dynamic. Now, Trey Young may be in favor of that. We've seen a lot of superstars, uh, young stars in the league kind of, you know, ask and, and speak about teaming up with friends, teaming up with other stars. And that's kind of the way that the league has become. It's kind of an AAU NBA. But we have not heard Trey Young, as far as I know, we've not heard Trey Young speak that into existence. So I think for the Atlanta Hawks to take that initiative, it, it would definitely be to the detriment overall of what, they, what they're trying to do. So a DeMar DeRozan, like I said, you know, this is a guy who can come in. This is a guy who's a veteran who knows what he needs to do and knows what he doesn't. And I think at this point in DeMar DeRozan's career, he's not looking to be a superstar. He's not looking for all the glitz and the glamour. Um, you know, he didn't really get it in Toronto, which is unfortunate because he was a very good player there. Uh, and then obviously the San Antonio Spurs experiment has been a complete disaster. So for DeMar DeRozan, I think it would be a situation where he's just happy to be back on a team that is in somewhat legitimate championship contention because the Spurs clearly are not it, unfortunately. And to be on a team where, you know, he, he is given all of the opportunity that I think a guy who's been in the league as long as DeRozan has been w- would ask for. So I think DeMar knows that there's not a whole lot of contracts left out there for him. Um, this would be an ideal situation for him, in my opinion, as I said, due to all the reasons I just covered. For the Hawks, I would look around the league for, you know, those Marcus Smart type of guys as far as a two guard or a three guard that can alleviate the defensive burden because DeAndre Hunter is, I think, is going to be a very good defender. But again, he's young. He, he He's relatively unproven. And when you look around the league, you're going to have to go through, I mean, some real dogs on the perimeter if you want to not only go to the NBA championship, but I mean, if you want to make a playoff run, I mean, just look around the East, you're going to have to be able to get through a Kyrie Irving, a Kyle Lowry. You're going to have to be able to get through a Jimmy Butler. You're going to have to be able to deal with a Giannis Antetokounmpo. You're going to have to be able to make adjustments. And when you have a lot of these larger guards, wings on the perimeter, you have to have an answer. And right now, the Atlanta Hawks defensively don't have a whole lot of them. So that's definitely something and a question that I think that they're going to need to answer this offseason. I, I 100% agree with that. I know that's one of the things that I've definitely been talking about that I know Jordan has been alluded to. I'll uh, give uh, Jordan an opportunity for some closing remarks in this conversation. I'll throw one more question before we end this program. So, Jordan, any other remarks as far as structure uh, on top of what both our other guests have mentioned today? Yeah, I, I completely agree with them as far as just, just building a, a structure and, and everything trying to figure out the right pieces. And it's, it seems like, you know, the trade with the Spurs is kind of seems like the thing that's that's catching steam right now. I'm interested to see how R.J. Hampton looks. And I think they made that trade with the Spurs, trading down to like 11 or 12, picking him up. I think it would be a good fit uh, offensively and defensively. He, I know he has a lot of work to do on both sides, but I think with his size and his potential, putting him in that category of uh, players who have, you know, have, have gone abroad and came back and had a steady careers. I think what he would bring to the table would be um, essential for the Hawks. But I agree just with having the right structure and putting the right pieces around him and everything. And I know that we talked about trading back in the previous podcast. Definitely wonderful prospects that you have mentioned thus far. We still like Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain, we still like. And uh, if there's no opportunity to uh, put this in there, hashtag call up McCall. I want to get it in there, Jordan. <laughs> hashtag call up McCall. I, was, yep. I, I had I had to get it in the program. I had to get it in the program. But the last question I had for everyone is: so if someone does come knocking on our door, wanting the sixth pick, which player would you feel out of this roster the most confident, if that's the word to say, giving giving this player away? Uh, I've mentioned the sixth pick and pairing Herder with Deadman. 
with Deadman having this con the contract that he does, but you're only tied to him for at least one or two more years. I have to go back and double check. But I feel it's harder if you're going to give up somebody with the sixth pick. But who does everyone have as that that player? Um, as I know, the Hawks fans want to keep on hold on to everybody, and they ride or die, and they fight hard for their players here, which I love that about this fan base. But who is the player on this roster that would be the odd man out, per se? And I'm going to start with you, Jordan. Odd man out, I think, unfortunately, would definitely have to be Herder because I feel like with that secondary playmaker, that's going to take away from his growth as a playmaker. And then that secondary playmaker can run offset minutes, you know, with Trey and, you know, they could be the lead guard or whatever and then run that offense. And with the Hawks bench, if they have a good secondary playmaker, Trey can rest and the Hawks can still produce efficiently, offensively and defensively. And I think that would leave Herder out of the rotation, I feel like, in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely think Dwayne Deadman would probably be it. You know, you you can run John Collins at a small ball five, in my opinion, at least long enough to give Clint Capella the requisite rest he would probably need. And then, yeah, I mean, those two. I mean, you have Collins and Capella. You you are well positioned for the future as far as uh, a talented young front court in the NBA. So I think Deadman is a, is a valuable trade piece. I think a lot of teams would love his size. I'm sure that the Rockets would probably be interested in that. Uh, as you guys pointed out earlier, after the Anthony Davis whooping that they got in the postseason, um, as well as other teams, you know, if you kind of look around the league, it's not like there's a whole lot of very serviceable big men out there, especially not ones that can stretch the floor like Dwayne Dedman can uh, to some relative extent. And again, this is a guy who you're not really going to have to worry about getting disgruntled in limited minutes. You know, he this is a veteran. This is a requisite pro, not a big name, but definitely a very valuable one. So I would look for Dwayne Dedman to possibly be on the move if they do look to kind of shuffle that roster. But last. But certainly not least, Mr. Marcus, who who is the odd, odd guy out here on this Hawks roster as far as if trades come a calling, they're going to have to get the bags back. Yeah, well, I mean, I hate to be redundant here, but I uh, agree with the other two experts and say definitely Dwayne Dedman or Herder. If you really just think about it, the player that they could acquire would be a much better version of one of those two players. You know, mm-hmm. and we can't, you know, as I said before. We can't dismiss the growth of guys like DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, because as they continue to play with the same guys in all of your young core, they can get better. So, you know, so you don't want to just act in a haste to give some guys away who could be better fit, you know, for your team. But that is also the nice thing about what Atlanta has to bring to the table, because they have these great young core pieces like a Kevin Herter. And you have a good veteran presence and a good stretch big in Dwayne Dedman. And if push really comes to shove, you can kind of leverage a DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish, right? And that six pick. So if the player was worthy enough, you have more to work with and they have ample cap space as well. So I think to not get off topic here, it's definitely between um, Herder and Dedman. But as things progress, right, and even as those players get better, we've seen it in Boston, right, where, you know, you look at them and they have Gordon Hayward, they have Jay Brown, they have, you know, Jason Tatum. We obviously know who the established and key pieces are in that team, but you look at a team like that and look who they can kind of leverage and potentially trade to make a move for a better player because they're already such a good team. The Hawks, I mean, you know, they're just focused on making the playoffs, being competitive, but I don't think they're too far off from that in the sense of depending on how these players age and get better, right? They have more leverage and more to work with. So I think those are t- the two kind of odd men out, but keep an eye out on Atlanta because, you know, like I said, stack 2021, they have ample cap space 
And, you know, they had the pieces to do it. So I think they could really, you know, after this season, especially seeing how things play out, really be able to identify what they need and make a big move to get it. What do y'all think about a possible Gordon Hayward coming here in exchange for that six pick or Jalen Brown? I think speaking for myself, I think he, he fits needs for certain. And he is a playmaker. He can create for others. And he is a capable of score. I mean, when healthy, he was an 18, 19 point score this year for Boston. And that team is loaded with a bunch of people who would like to have the ball in their hands at times. And he still found a spot to carve out a niche, whether in the starting lineup or leading that second unit in that bench to playmake for others and still get his. And I think that could be valuable for this Hawks team. And I know he's going to be asking for a lot of money and we're talking about having a little bit of flexibility for 2021. Uh, he's if, Especially if he opts in and then Boston opts to trade him, we're going to be on the hook for 30 plus million dollars next year with Gordon Hayward. But basketball wise, I think he can definitely potentially fit. Um, I'm going to move it on to uh, one of the other guests. So to that, I say, you know, I definitely agree. One of the things is I think Gordon Hayward would be a good fit. But, Brad, you said it best. Right. You know, obviously he's owed a good amount of money. You know, you don't want to give too much to a guy like Hayward who kind of moves the needle but doesn't quite take you to where you want to be. Right. And then you don't have as much flexibility or wiggle room come the stack 2021 offseason. But I definitely think he could be a great fit. You know, same with Jay Brown. I think they could be a great fit. And then if you really get them. For a herder and a six pick or a deadman and a six pick, right, which Boston, I mean, could really use in both accounts or find some value for it, depending, you know, considering everything else they have, especially with a Dwayne Deadman. I think it's a win win on both sides. I mean, because I even seen a potential trade where they said Atlanta could possibly trade the six pick for a Buddy Healed, right? Now, I get it. Buddy Healed isn't a player they necessarily need, but if you were moving him now, which, you know, Buddy Hill's a proven player, a three-point specialist, and just a great all-around player. If it was just the sixth pick that was required to get someone like him, that could be worth it, you know? And then you got two just knock-down three-point shooters and Buddy Hill and Trey Young, and then, you know, the other players that they had that can stretch the floor and whatnot. So it really depends on what you have to give. But, Jordan, you kind of alluded to it, you know, depending on what you can get just for giving that sixth pick. Could mm-hmm. prove to be very valuable for Atlanta by not having to, you know, show their whole hand and give an arm and a leg just to get a player who may meet expectations, right? And still preserve their young core and those um uh bench pieces. So see, I like the Hayward or Brown option because of Hayward. I think we can negotiate and not necessarily pay him, but I think what they would bring to, for Reddish and Hunter, I think would add more value than I guess what they would actually do on the court. That's why I like the Hayward option coming here because I feel like he would definitely mold Cam's game to be more efficient offensively and defensively because Hayward's one of the people that lead the league in efficiency almost every year. Efficiency and scoring with his usage at the same time um, and playing with the stacked team like Boston where they got three, you know, six, eight swingmen who share the court at the same time. I think he... Like I said, the value that he would add just as far as mentorship and just showing Cam and Hunter how to get their shots in this in this offense, I think he would provide immense value um, that really couldn't be seen on the court, I guess, um, as far as just, you know, from fans' eyes or whatever. But people who know the game and, you know, media and stuff, they, they would see the value that he would provide. So that's why I threw that question out there. And I think 
you know, the sixth pick and Capella to, to Boston for, you know, Hayward or a Brown would, would add a lot of value to Atlanta and get us over that hump a lot sooner than, than, than later. Mm. Yeah. David, what do you, what do you think on that? In regards to the Gordon Hayward trade specifically? Yes. As far as Hayward goes, I think very similarly to what I just kind of spoke about, I would not be so quick to force the issue of a name onto the roster. And I think, unfortunately, right now, Gordon Hayward, in my opinion, is still very much so damaged goods. If he wasn't, I don't think there would be so much question about whether or not he'd be leaving the Boston Celtics roster, because clearly I don't think it's a fit issue. Clearly, it's also not a culture issue, given the fact that his former head coach is the current coach of the Boston Celtics. So there's a lot of questions about Gordon Hayward, in my opinion. You know, contractually, I do not think that he is going to pass up on re-signing with Boston for that 30-plus million dollars that he is owed. Um, I do not see him passing that up again just because of all the financial strife going on in the league right now on top of everything else. So in my opinion, he's going to re-sign. Now, the, the question would be if the Boston Celtics do a sign and trade and then move off of that asset. I think if the Celtics are going to move off of the asset of Gordon Hayward, they're going to be looking for a high-value val- high big to fit onto their roster. And unless, you know, unless Atlanta's looking to get rid of John Collins or Clint Capella, I, I just don't see the Boston Celtics as a potential trade partner or suitor for them in that regard. So, uh, again, you know, I think Gordon Hayward – is, is someone who I think I'd be a little bit more hesitant with uh, this offseason as far as trying to go out and get a name just because of, you know, the injuries and everything else. So. Yeah, duly noted, duly noted. And those are very, very valid points, especially, like you said, the damage good aspects. He has had several injuries and season-ending injuries over the last four years or so. And he's – a lot of people do complain, and there's rumors that uh, – the favoritism and, you know, the contract is part of the reason why Kyrie maybe wanted to get out of Boston. And he's tried to, you know, talk to the young guys as well about that. But that's all speculation, neither here nor there. But Kyrie's obviously moved on. Boston uh, still has Gordon Hayward and did provide valuable minutes throughout the year before getting hurt, but then doing what he could do uh, in the bubble, obviously coming back from injury and playing in spells. Uh, so, but that was a very, very wonderful question that you posed to us, Jordan, uh, and something to think about and just kind of just continue to allude to the options that we have here in Atlanta and the flexibility and how we don't have to, you know, pull the trigger and make a decision right away on this pick or for something that is just like David has alluded to and a couple other of our guests have. It's just a name on paper. We, we, we want to think about the fit. We want to think about the future and structure. We have Travis Schlenk, who, I trust with his decision making to make sound decisions, especially what he's learned from the tools of the trade under Bob Myers in Golden State. So trade season is going to be very, very interesting. And I want to thank all of our guests today, especially obviously a staple on this program, Mr. Player Development, Jordan Boatwright. Jordan, tell the audience how they can connect with you and your adventure is going forward. You guys can reach me by email, boatwright.jordan at hotmail.com. And then LinkedIn, you can get me at Swissful Athletics or Jordan Boatwright on LinkedIn. I'm going dark on social media for a while, just keeping this commitment to myself throughout the holiday season. Um, but I'm still available for workouts and everything. You can contact me through the sources I just uh, gave you, or if you know somebody I've worked out with, ask them for my information, and they'll be glad to hand it over to you. 
Um, but yeah, boatwright.jordan at hotmail.com or on LinkedIn, Swissful Athletics or Jordan Boatwright. Yeah, so hit them up, but I will move it on to Marcus. Marcus, tell how the audience can connect with you if they loved you like I love you as a brother personally. And I love all my esteemed uh, guests today, but tell them how they can connect with you and what you got cooking up going forward. Man, first first of all, I just want to say it was a pleasure, you know, just being on the uh, Hawks podcast and be able to talk, you know, some of the key moves that the Hawks can make and whatnot. It was great being on with all you experts and fine gentlemen, but uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Mark, M-A-R-C underscore Anthony 35 and on Instagram at Braden Marcus. That's B-R-A-D-E-N-M-A-R-C-U-S. And, you know, I, I'm kind of being featured on segments like this and the box score breakdown with David uh, when we have segments. And once the 2021 season kicks off, I'll be doing some of the uh, pregame shows and just kind of highlighting the different matchups and stuff like that. So definitely stay tuned. But HoopBall as a collective, you know, there's so much great content and so many different segments that we always have coming out and releasing. So stay tuned for all of the good stuff at hoop-ball.com. So looking forward to just doing more. And then once again, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again, Marcus. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Bracey, tell them what you got going on and how they can connect with you. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. As always, a pleasure to be on the podcast with you. I appreciate the opportunity and the time of everybody who joined us for today's conversation. Uh, as you all mentioned, you know, we have some incredible contributors here as a part of the network. So for all the first time listeners here and our other voices on the podcast, be sure to check us out on social media. And otherwise, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at DFB underscore three and you can check me out for weekly editions of your nba box score breakdown uh we'll be covering all the news on the court off the court uh and and everything else so definitely tune in uh a culmination of different voices on that pod from marcus brad uh a whole bunch of awesome guys we have across the network and we're going to continue to cover what is going to be a very very eventful off season as we rush back into this upcoming nba season for 2020-2021 so Plenty coming at you, Brad. I appreciate your time, man. And this was an absolute pleasure to hop on and talk about your AT aliens today. Like I said, um, put his podcast in rotation. Please, it's a great show, especially if you want to see what else is going on outside the city of Atlanta and the Hawks franchise. Uh, David Bracey's show is great with all the happenings around the league. So if you are looking for another podcast to listen to on your morning commute outside of this wonderful show, morning commute when you're cooking dinner, whatever, your time is your time, but work our podcast into that schedule. So if you love what you heard today, give us five stars like those notebooks and binders that it seemed like all the cool kids had. Me and Jordan talked about it last week. Uh, David, uh, Marcus, did you guys have f- them five-star notebooks or binders that all the cool kids had? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know I'm a trapper keeper. Yeah, <laughs> you know I had to come with it. You know I had to come with it. Five-star, you know, five-star, just like my wardrobe on the first day of school, man. You know, <laughs> got to coordinate. <laughs> oh, top five, top five, top five. <laughs> Lay it out on the bed with the shoes and everything. You know, yes, sir. Put it all together. Yeah, yes, but sir. The, had the five-star fit to go with the five-star notebooks and binders. But you know what else is five star is this podcast. Give us a good review. Give us five stars. Like I said, subscribe and share with fellow Hawks fans and basketball enthusiasts across the globe. Follow us at HoopBallHawks on Twitter. That is at HoopBallHawks. If you are on the web, go on Hoop-Ball.com. Search team coverage Atlanta Hawks for all the happenings and all the new episodes of HoopBallHawks. Follow myself, Brad Jarrett. 
Brad J A R R E T T67 on Twitter. That is Brad J A R R E T T67. And as always, yeah.